Alrighty, Pints Popcorn Podcast coming at you with LA Confidential today. Uh, so this is the usual spoiler warning that if you haven't seen it, uh, do go and watch LA Confidential before you come back and listen to our podcast so you can um, uh, go into it spoiler-free because uh, we do get into the nitty-gritty as per usual. Uh, that's about it, apart from just keep up with the Black Lives Matter stuff, guys. Um, it's, it's still in the show notes, still in the links on the Instagram and all that. Um, if you can't donate, just use the resources there to find out more about what you can just be just to better yourself at, at understanding what's going on in the world, um, particularly with the Black Lives Matter movement at the moment. Um, so, yeah, just keep socially conscious and, yeah, let's get into the podcast. If we're going to figure this out, we need to work together. The podcast made you. You want to tear all that down? With a wrecking ball. You want to help me swing it? They were three cops who had nothing in common. Freeze. Big V, what are you doing here? Hey, you know, man, keeping the streets safe, boys. One would do anything to get ahead. You truly prepared to be despised within an apartment? Yes, sir, I am. One had his own brand of justice. How's it going to look in your report? It'll look like justice. That's what the man got. And one loved the spotlight. What exactly do you do on the show, Jack? I teach Brett Chase how to walk and talk like a cop. The Night Owl Massacre. This is a heinous crime that requires swift resolution. Six victims. One of them, one of our own. Interrogations will be led by Lieutenant Edmund Exley. I need some backup. Come on. All right, college boy, I'll help. Now, all of them are faced with solving one case. Don't move! I want confessions, Edmund. Oh, I'll break them, sir. These people are all in the morgue. And someone has to pay for it. There's something wrong with the night owl. They thought they had it all figured out. Anything bothering you about the Night Owl case? The fact that you guys won't let it get filed away. I kill nobody! But what started as a murder... Can you talk only to me on this one? ...became a mystery that could cost them everything. Why was Susan Lefferts at the Night Owl? I don't know. I never heard of the Night Owl till today. How about some payback, big time? We need evidence. I'll get the evidence. It was an information exchange. You have any proof? The proof had his throat slit. What do you want, actually? I just want to solve this thing. Even if it means paying the consequences? Pints of Popcorn Podcast coming at you for another week again. Shay's just having a good old chug of his morning beer. Connecticut Casual, made by <laughs> Beard Brewing Company in Connecticut. That like that name for a brewing company is the name that you just expect a brewing company to have, but then you just didn't. It's taken a long time for me to actually see it. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, two. Uh, it's not like beard like we have. Mm. It's beer apostrophe D. Right. So beard. All right. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just I I was wearing a shirt from a brewery like local one in Adelaide once when I was working at my other my actual job, and I was like I have a beard and just my look I guess the guy like looks at me and goes oh is this your second job I was like huh <laughs> he's, like, he's like oh you got you got a 
you know, you got a pirate life shirt on, like, you work there, right? And I was like, no, I'm just a fan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then he just goes, oh, and I was like, yeah, no, my family runs this place, and so I work here all the time. He's like, oh, it's just with the beard and the shirt, you you just look like everyone else that works there. I was like, so... We're stereotyped as as beard beard wearing beer drinkers. We uh have a, we have a stereotype now apparently. <laughs> and we used to live in Oregon, so it all comes together. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very I'm very happy to have that. St- like I'd be happy to be known as someone that looks like they could work at a brewery, even though I, I I'm very experienced in drinking the beer. I just have no experience making it. So you need a few more tattoos, I think. Yeah, that might be it. that that might be what just. But it yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I have the weird combo of espresso and beer now. So in the morning, so uh, this should be a fun podcast. Yeah, and I've got the combo <laughs> of I'm drinking a soda while I'm still recovering from um, a showdown win hang- hangover, which is completely off topic as far as movies go. But uh, yeah, sports fan things, uh, big game in Australian football as sports started to return in Australia over the weekend, and uh, my team had a big win. So. I was drunk, very drunk for it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is pints and popcorn. Yeah, it so. is. Uh, not intentionally. I was uh, just bought like this beer that I liked, and then realized how strong it was. It was like, well, I'm going to pound them anyway, and um, it. That happened to me two nights ago. If you aren't getting, if the listener isn't getting a, a window into why we named this pints and popcorn <laughs> now, then they never will. But. Uh, I was just having a few white claws because I had a, had a day off. Was playing a little two K, watching some movies, and uh, then there was a live John Prine tribute, and I got real sad, and then I got real into my cups <laughs> <laughs> and drank myself out of all of the beer that I had in in apartment. So uh, a couple days ago, the hangover was real. So I feel you on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll I'll probably grab a beer at the halfway point of this podcast, I think, because I'm like, you know, and pints and popcorn, obviously. Um, it's in the name. Got to stick on brand, but um, yeah. Again, neither of us have ever had popcorn on the podcast, yeah. but but, <laughs> but, it, but but the it, front end, yeah. Yeah, I do eat popcorn a lot when I'm actually watching my movies for the pod- podcast. So, um, I'm a popcorn guy when it comes to movies. I love I, every time I go see a movie, I get a box of popcorn. No matter, like I I will be. I'll have gone out to dinner with Andrea beforehand or something, and we'll both kind of be like, <laughs> are we really hungry? No. Do we want popcorn? Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, then you finish it before the movie even starts. I yeah. know that game. Um, right we, now, we though, actually, like, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, we actually talked to, like, um, once we got experienced in how our like our marriage worked, we got ex- we got to the point <laughs> that sometimes going out for dinner for us would just be going to the movies and eating a shitload of popcorn. We wouldn't actually eat like a traditional dinner. We just, well, what do we want for dinner? And Andrea's like, I've been craving popcorn all day. I was like, let's just go see a movie, eat some popcorn and call it a day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a stomach ache waiting to happen, but who cares? Yeah. Yeah. It's worth it. It is worth it. But like the idea of like going somewhere right now and eating in public, like with my hands and like to my mouth, like mm-hmm. the, just sounds like so gross and such a bad idea. <laughs> like, I, I know like the U.S. is and Australia's lightning restrictions and stuff, but it just still it's gonna. I I saw somebody post. This is podcast related. Somebody posted like, "When's the next time you'll feel comfortable going to a theater?" Mm-hmm. I know it was like a Twitter poll, and um, there was like a 
one month to two month, uh, three month to four month, uh, five month to six month, and then not for the foreseeable future. And I clicked like the five to six months because I need to see where it's going to be. Yeah. I, who know in half a year? Who knows where we're at with this thing? There could be a vaccine. Blah 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 blah. But uh, it was overwhelmingly like not for the foreseeable future. Like nobody like so. That's good. To, good to hear that people are still taking it seriously. Yeah, and that's what's interesting is like um, you know obviously I've you know I've taken the COVID nineteen very seriously as far as its impacts as health and wanting wanting people to be you know cognizant of how bad it is um still but it's weird like in south australia because we've done we just locked down on it so well and we haven't had an active case here in like almost three weeks now and we've yeah that's insane yeah so the state is you know that that football game i was talking about just before had they brought two thousand fans into the stadium and social distance them in in the section they were in but that was on, you know, even a couple of weeks ago, we didn't think that was ever going to happen all year. And now they're talking about having fans, right. more fans at the games in the forthcoming weeks. Uh, there's a couple of states that still have cases, new cases every day, like only a couple, but I'm, I question the, I question the, uh, how smart it is to do that until you're at the stage. South, South, South Australia is at a unique point that they've locked it down so well that, and as soon as if you get a spike in cases, they'll lock it down again. Like, cause that's what you have to do. Right. But, Weirdly, I can imagine myself going to the cinema in the next couple of weeks because there's a lo- couple local ones that have already opened up. Um, as I said on a right, podcast, we talked. Yeah, yeah, I think we talked. Pod- yeah, Scott Hicks, um, Australian writer and director, cut the ribbon on the one in Adelaide that opened up, and they're they're showing like a mixture of new films, like all films that were out when the corona hit, um, like jo- right. Jojo Rabbit, Parasite, and stuff are being shown again, and then they're showing some old ones like Inception and uh, Blade Runner, which is the one that I, I've right. I've never seen the original Blade Runner on the big screen, so that's kind right. of piqued my interest to go down. And like they're doing it very carefully, like like making sure you. It's almost online bookings are essential. Like I think you can walk in, and if they can find you a seat, they will. But you have to be understanding. But they're like every seat, like every you know, every group is spaced out like. The online booking systems are des- uh, have been modified that as soon as you book yourself a seat, then the, all the ones around you, like three, four seats around you, are, are automatically blocked out. So you kind of got your own section of the cinema. So yeah, that, I don't know what we're doing here. Like yeah. I don't. And again, like don't... if we were having new cases every day here, I don't think I'd go. But because I know, like I'm pretty confident in how South Australia has handled it. That if I hear of cases, then I'll probably I'll change my mind again. But at the moment, it's I'm like we're almost. Advisor, man. Yeah, I've got hand sanitizer. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's just so different there that I can't add it. That's what like I mean. It's, it's so weird to be thinking about it. But, and I didn't think I'd be thinking about any of these things for the rest of the year. It's just it's got changed so quickly here. And, you know, we'll find out in the next coming months how, if if it was the right thing to open up or not, like in South Australia. But at the moment, it's going all right. And, you know. It's definitely not the right idea here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People, people just selfishly decided that it was over or whatever or you know they watch fox news and they think it's a hoax still even mm-hmm. though you know hundred, hundreds of thousands of people have died um but uh yeah so i can't imagine going to a cinema anytime soon yeah so because i was at the shop today and somebody sneezed i didn't see who it was mm-hmm. but and i hope she was wearing a mask but it freaked me the fuck out. So it's <laughs> it was like yeah, like how are you gonna sneeze in public like that, lady? You hold it in, 
I don't care if it causes a brain aneurysm. <laughs> <laughs> Read the room. Yeah. Yeah. We do, we do like, yeah, that is the thing. I hope everyone does keep being vigilant about it. Cause even me here, like with a state that's, you know, I hope part of, you know, everyone keeps talking about the new normal. It's kind of a cliche, but I hope part of the new normal is people just do take just standard hygiene more seriously. <laughs> Um, yeah i mean like i know I've, i have to teach my i'm naturally kind of a lazy person so like but i i've been trying just you know just change your it's not just for yourself it's obviously good to be you know hygienic for yourself but it also carry it carries over to helping everyone else out you know you know be be more cognizant of if you're feeling feeling a bit off color or whatever you know absolutely yeah. i completely like i think mass will become more of a more of a regular thing here hopefully maybe not in the south um in states like texas and california but um all the states that are like limiting cases here are the ones that are still on like early phases of getting over it Mm -hmm. this is not how i thought this podcast would go but (laughs) it was slightly on topic for movies and popcorn and the experience of cinema going which is something we want to promote so um, right. Unfortunately, something that we can only promote in South Australia and at the moment, but it's slow. You know, there'll be more cinemas opening up. I think so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We'll um, see. I. I mean, I think there are movie theaters here open in the South and stuff, and mm-hmm. they just don't like those people down there. Just don't care. They just yeah. decided that this isn't a thing. So, but cases they're spiking again. So, I we live in hell in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> last week we covered all the racial stuff now we're covering the just sheer ignorance of science so yeah. and now uh this week we're going to go into the sheer ignorance of police departments so uh yeah that's three strikes and the united states is out <laughs> yeah well yeah this week i can't even remember if we mentioned it at the top of the pod but it, it well and you know my uh my intro that I record afterwards will mention it anyway, but it is LA Confidential uh, this this week, um, 1997 film, uh, Brian Helgeling written, Curtis Hansen directed. Better than Titanic. Yeah, yep, yep. It got yeah nine nine Oscar nominations, but obviously that was a year that Titanic cleaned up. Uh, yeah. yeah, Titanic's not a bad film either. Let me say that. But, I, uh, I didn't enjoy it a lot as a kid, but I, I've got to revisit it. I it? loved it as a kid. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I was a kid that used to do projects on, like, I lo- I was fascinated by the Titanic. I've got big books about it. Same. The and then I watched the it, movie and I was just, like, just mad at the end of it. I don't know why. Because um, Jack died. I was. My dad still kids me about it. Anytime he would see that it was on, he t- would text me, like, I don't know why Jack had to die, because that's what I said after, <laughs> when I was like, I don't know, what, 97, I was 8 when yeah. I saw it, so, yeah, my dad still makes fun of me for that, but, yeah. <laughs> I was mad about that. <laughs> yeah, well, you should have just drink, drank some whiskey like that cook did and stayed stay a bit warm. <laughs> so. See, I, yeah, see, I rented out the books from, like, my elementary school library that were all about Titanic, and I knew about that mm-hmm. when I was, like, 8 so yeah yeah i mean i didn't understand how whiskey worked but <laughs> <laughs> now now we're both quite well versed in uh, all the fun and not so fun effects of whiskey uh has definitely kept me warm on some cold oregon nights um <laughs> walking home from the bar not feeling the cold because of all the whiskey i drank at the uh 
It's kept me warm on some real cold emotional nights, if you know what I mean. <laughs> that too. Uh, yeah. Alcohol in general. Um, but yeah, like, <laughs> how many times will we get distracted today? Uh, that's the over-under. Um, that's more in, in line with the Uncut Gems pod. But again, another segue that just is completely... Really, whenever I'm drinking on the pod, it's just not going to be... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Con- in the morning. Yeah. LA, LA Confidential. Great yeah. film. <laughs> it, um, it did win two Oscars. Uh, adapted screenplay as well as uh, Kim Basinger for a supporting actress role. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into all that in a bit, but um, first off, just general... Im- well, I did say off air that we'd make this note. Um, we obviously are going into talking about a film that uh, has Kevin Spacey as a major role in the film. Uh, we <laughs> completely... Uh, I don't know how strongly we, how strongly enough we can say that we despise his actions and what he has done throughout his career as a as a human being, off like his off onset and... Uh, a pattern of uh, harassment and abuse that is uh, not acceptable and he is a piece of shit and we acknowledge that but we're talking about a film and um, we will talk about his character's role as much as possible but Spacey, I'm not going to really talk about his performance or anything like that because he's, he's just not worth the time. Uh, in context of the movie and that's about it is what I'll do. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's so frustrating because... I mean, it's frustrating just as a person seeing what he what he did with his fame, and you know, you hate to see that at every level. It's even more frustrating that he is such a powerful actor. He's a great actor, mm-hmm. but uh, he is a terrible person. So <sighs> it's just frustrating, you know, because he's been in a. I mean, he's been great in a lot of movies I really, really enjoy, including this one. Mm-hmm. Where I mean, he kind of plays a schmuck in it, so it's it's fun to hate his face, yeah. <laughs> which he did anyway. But uh, yeah, um, we probably won't talk about him very much. Yeah, we'll talk that. about his characters, right? Like, because it's different. His characters are obviously an integral part of the film, so his character will get spoken about. But yeah, Spacey's performance, um, just we'll we'll leave it leave it as minimal as po- as you know. We'll separate the art from the artist as much as possible in talking about the character's role but beyond that we'll leave it very minimal but uh luckily there's plenty of other great performances there's plenty of other great performances and yeah this film is yeah full of them really even down to the bit parts so um yeah we'll 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 be fine just wanted to put that out there at the front end so people are you know we don't the few fans we have don't start writing in and saying why didn't you say anything so you know because we do we do want to make sure people understand that we we are cognizant of all the different uh, myriad of issues that happen with uh, you know revisiting films from a while ago that have, have since had controversy about them you know like the controversy isn't anything to do with the films itself so yeah. right um i guess general thoughts on the film as we open up uh, is probably a gr- good way to open just how we you know your initial thoughts when you watched it at first. You know years ago, whenever you first watched it, and then now on now revisiting it. Uh, initially, I didn't know what I was going to get into, just because I didn't think a film from '97. And this is me being ignorant, but I was a young kid back then, and Titanic was winning Oscars, so I was just like, "Well, it couldn't have been. It couldn't have much depth to it." But I was just shocked at the levels of how deep they get into several issues in this. I mean, obviously most of them are directed at corruption inside the police departments. 
the LA police department, which mm. is a big reason why we picked this movie or probably the only reason we picked this movie. <laughs> as, uh, as we talked about last week, there's a lot of injustice going on in the United States and a lot of it is being perpetrated by the police departments in cities and none more than LAPD. Um, mm. Obviously there were riots in 92 and uh, this film really shows that it's always been there. And, uh, has always been a mainstay in uh, one of the nation's biggest police departments. So, and it also shows that there are good cops too, which I, I know that sounds awful to say right now because we as a collective have decided that a cab, but uh, I mean, there are a few, I don't think it's a majority yeah. by any means, but there are a few. And I think this movie shows that, that even the ones who just stand by and watch, are just as bad as the ones that are perpetrating the crimes against people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I guess, um, that is the thing is like, uh, I mean, the, the real, the, the real world thing that's going on at the moment with defund the police and, uh, right down to an abolitionist movement as well, which we, you know, we won't get into too much, but like, well, we, we do talk politics naturally when we talk about films like this, but, um, I guess you can say that the, even the, our, you know, a guy pisses uh, Edmund Exley uh, is kind of your prototypical by the book, do everything right, um, no matter what the system throws at you. But by the end of the film, he does he does um, acquiesce to the system so- somewhat to both to further his own career as well as um, he, he he understands the politics of it. Then and then that's that's the moment you kind of go, well, that's 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 exactly why why we where where we are now in the real world is that there's too many. Even the good ones get sucked into the system, if that makes sense, and then become a become just a cog in the wheel, and the the system itself is inherently corrupt and um and systemically racist in that sense. So it's like, yeah, I get that's a debate that we've got at the moment. Is you know, if there are good cops, why aren't they doing? You know, why aren't they doing enough? But but yeah. this film shows how hard it is to do enough. Yeah, well, um, and that, and that might be, that, and that's why I think it's come to the point that people are saying, well, the system is inherently corrupt, so law enforcement needs to move away from policing as a model and change and have a complete revolution in in how we think about law enforcement. It's like kind of like, yeah, you know how you know Steve Jobs dropped acid and worked out, you know, <laughs> work. A complete re- rethink in how we how we use uh, you know technology like a little tablet in your hand with a touch screen would have been alien to people back in the even the nineties, but now it's just normal and maybe maybe law enforcement is going to take a is going to look completely different in fifteen years. Like you know it would be you know policing we won't may not even use the word police in the present tense, um, and that you know. This is taking a complete turn into what from, but that's that's kind of the, the well, movie. that's the point. Yeah, <laughs> the, mo- the movie the movie does kind of show the inherent in corruption is inherent in the system, and if if you can't get that out, it, it re- reform whatever. If, if it's never going to leave the system, and then it, it's it's you know you've just got to cut it out, like the entire. It thing. also shows that there are different levels of corruption. Yeah, uh, and that it's a very protect your own type of system, which I think we saw with the George Floyd murder is there's three guys just standing around while a cop kills someone that's allowing that to happen. That's corruption. They're, they're just allowed there. And, um, in the film, they kind of do that right away is like, 
that's why Exley's testimony against the cops um, that beat up um, the Hispanic Americans uh, at the start of it uh, was such a powerful move by him because the no one wanted to test, testify against their fellow brethren, and that's exactly the problem. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, if you have one third of the police department that is good cops, you have one third that is just there for a paycheck and doesn't really say anything and speak up, and then one third that's bad, then you have two thirds that's bad, and that's enough to override everything. Yeah. So, and that's the problem uh, we have right now, and that's the problem they had in this film. It's mm-hmm. too many bad cops. Yeah. Um, and it goes to the top, which is, you know, a lot of, I mean, that still happens. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, going back to, you have uh, the George Floyd, even the statement that was, uh, well, the official report, police report of his death was very obviously completely fabricated and different. It was, you know, he, he suffered some, you know, they, we took him to hospital and he, and we worked out like, we called for help as soon as we knew, and then and then you see the the video and realize that they're none of none of what was put in the official report. So it's kind of systematic, and that's what you see in LA Confidential as well as is it's just levels and levels of people that'll say what's needed or write the report the right way, and and or just turn the other way, where every every step of the ladder down to uh, protect their own, and that's what like it's where the system is inherently faulty is that they. Uh, yeah, no one's actually doing the job that like the job. Every every arrest or uh, or job has has an ulterior motive to it. Um, in LA Confidential, you know, you've got right. The, and you, you've, got the char- you've got the character of Vincenz, which is um, Spacey's character. But his, the character name is Vincenz. Um, he's he's kind of like a ho- he's the Hollywood cop. He's a, you know he's a um, um, working for a TV show as an, as a advisor and, and, and then yeah, like, how would that even be legal? Like, there's no way that would like, I don't know. Well, maybe back then it might, I don't know. I don't know. Now. I mean, back then but, it definitely was. Yeah. But, but I mean, there's, 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 advi- like, there's advisors for movies. Like I guess they're often like for military movies. It's often ex military guys, like an active cop being like, and then like yeah. planning weed on somebody and like doing it for. Yeah. I mean, it just shows the levels that they'll go to, to, just further their own careers and further their own lives and that there is money changing hands. I mean, mm-hmm. early on in the film, um, with the Hispanics, Hispanic, I don't know if that's racially insensitive, Hispanic Americans, um, like they don't even know what happened to the other two cops. Like some say like they were maimed and that they'll never walk again. But what it actually was is they have a few stitches and a few bruises yeah. and they don't even know those are the guys that did it. But it gets to the point where they've, um, inflated the the charges to you know that these guys are not even going to be able to walk again so mm-hmm. this is what police do you know kind of like the george floyd thing they'll do whatever it takes to get what they want mm-hmm. basically yeah well and, and 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 policing is such a it's like a there's a there's, a, there's an element to it that it's it's about what how it's a public public view look as well like you want to be you know, we, we always, we, you know, in Australia, we talk about, you know, having to make their quotas and I'm sure you do in America too, where there's like oh, ticket quotas and all that stuff and, and having to have good, good feedback to put into the news about what you're doing. So, you know, you've got Vincennes doing the hot thing where he's getting those, busting those cases for the Hush Hush magazine. Um, 
which was actually a magazine based on the conf- the confidential magazine that actually ran back in the 50s, 60s, right. and 70s, <laughs> yep. uh, which, so, which um, hence the name of the film. Uh, but yeah, it's it's like you're trying, you're always trying to put out news about what you're doing good, and then if you need, if what you need to tell the public about what you're doing is, you know, you can't arrest a bunch of um, of minority of minorities um, for just giving the cops a few stitches. So you've got to inflate the, you know, oh, they, they, these cops were fighting for their lives in hospital, so we arrested these. You know, it, it and it also de- and it's what the what is still happening now is demonizing demonizing people that you can demonize that the mass populace that you're aiming at isn't actually going to care about you demonizing them because they don't see them subconsciously. They don't see them as people either as part of systemic racism is that if you read a story about, um, you know, suburban crime, like, uh, you know, wh- white people beating up cops, people will get concerned about that. If they read about, you know, minorities beating up cops, then they're like, oh, whatever, that's fine. This doesn't affect me. So it's like, that, those kind of news stories can be uh, uh, helpful for the police um, in in their public persona, and in allowing them to keep doing the corrupt things that they're doing because people just see that and go, "Yeah, that's fine." They don't even they don't even second guess it. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it happened yesterday <clears throat> in England. A bunch of chavs, when protecting a Winston Churchill statue, <laughs> fought the police. I didn't see any like, I don't know. And again, it was in a different country, but. I feel like if it was the Black Lives Black Lives Matter protest, they would have handled it with more violence. Mm. So it just, it, yeah, some of those your workforces are the same Uber and crosses. It's yeah. just, uh, I mean, that plays into it in this film. I mean, you see it right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I mean, we saw it. We we talked about um, policing. Uh, in the seventies, back in our podcast last week, with the uh, that had a very specific uh, police character that was um, blatantly racist and and white supremacist in nature, and and not that, not that there's any blatant white supremacists like in that in the sense of uh, how Spike Lee portrayed it in Black Klansman, but we do see dismissive nature towards um, and and we specifically have it with um, some uh, black Americans in this film as well. It's a very key plot point to them trying you know part part of the you know they've this this whole police corruption web which is really well written um that it's kind of like the narrative of this film i'll get back to the 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 racial thing in a moment but just to make a point about the narrative of the film is really well constructed because for a while you i love films like this where you know you know like if you've watched films enough and obviously i'd seen this one before anyway but when you know you know it'll get there but it's just little pieces being dropped here and there and you're not sure how it's all going to come together and suddenly it's like when that web of you know there's the um the stories about the storyline about the um Fleur de L- oh, I'm forgetting the name of the the Fleur de Lee. yeah um whatever your desires or whatever it is and um there's that whole thing and you're like how is this connected to the police but then it just slowly starts coming together even with um you know the uh, Danny DeVito's great Sid character of the the, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the lecherous, um, you know, exploitation. Hush, hush, hush. hush. Um, you know, he's brilliant. It's kind of like the for the forefather. Of the, is it National Enquirer or whatever that like, Nutjob magazine? Right. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like, 
Yeah. His is a little bit more based in reality, but it still is sensationalism. Yeah, well, back then, like, you know, now sensationalism was probably born from, you know, you start here and then get to where the, the National Enquirer is now, probably, but... Right, um, exactly. And his was very, definitely and, and his was very much just based in LA as well, like the, the world that he right. was living in um, and what could sell copies there, so... Um, but yeah, Even the, manufacturing stories, yeah. Yeah, the narrative of the film really, like, it, the way it comes together from, you know, you've got the police stuff going on with the, the Night Owl murders and wondering what happened there, and then you've got the, 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 the hook... the prostitute company that's the high-end ones that get cut get cut um right yeah to to look like celebrities um and uh and then yeah it all just comes together really well and that's like something that's really fun to watch in a movie like this is a really really well written film which understandably understandably it won the best adapted screenplay as well uh considering this novel um i haven't read it in years but it is very. I mean, the novel has a. The movie has cut a lot of the novels. Like, it's a lot more going on in the book, but they found a way in to just cut it down to, um, you know, streamline the story to something that was very much still in 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 the spirit of the novel, but cut out a lot of the um, you know, amalgamated a couple of characters, cut out um, a bunch of other stuff that just wouldn't would have made it very narratively convoluted, and you would have had to make a four or five hour film probably to figure it out, <laughs> yeah. and then you might as well just be making a TV series, which they did try to as well, but. Um, oh yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I was I was reading just before that they actually CBS ordered a pilot in 2018 again, but it never got off the ground. But Walt Walton Goggins was going to be uh, Exley, I think. Uh, I would have, I definitely would have taken that. But if it would have stopped him from being in Righteous Gemstones, then I would have been bummed. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's convoluted enough. I mean. At the end of the second act, you're like, what, what the hell is happening? What's going... Like, it leaves the viewer, like, you know, kind of stunned um, mm. the first time they see it with what exactly is happening. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad that they narrowed it down because I don't know if I could have taken it anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, as it is, it's a, like, two-hour, two-and-a-quarter-hour film, so it's not... It's not, not too bad. Yeah, it's not short, but considering how much is going on, it's very... Moves very quickly. Um, I think I said that about uh, when we watched uh, when we did uh, Uncut Gems. Is very similar in the sense that uh, that's about two hours and fifteen as well, and doesn't feel like it. Like it's just that's, and that's yeah. and that's the magic of movies is you know your the pacing of the movie is something that's um, both comes down to how it's uh, a lot of the pacing comes from how it's written as well. But and then it was just directed very well and um, and you know taken from page to screen. Uh, quite effortlessly and uh, you know it's a very you know movies that do really well like this and are made really well have, um, have a heavily collaborative process between writer and director as well in these these kind of projects so which i believe they they wrote six or seven scripts before they finally showed james elroy the writer who's um who's a character in himself <laughs> yeah i think he's i think he's self-proclaimed himself to be the greatest uh, um crime novelist of all time which well yeah. they made a lot of movies yeah, <laughs> and, his book. and his and his books have been very successful, so he's he's certainly got a case to fight there. So, um, you know, yeah. not a humble man, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's really good writing. Um, obviously, they had a lot to work with. So, um, but it really comes across. I think that's the, and just the dialogue is really snappy. This film could have been really boring. I think if they mm. didn't, if they didn't have that 
snappy kind of they always had somebody in a scene that would steal the scene i feel like so mm-hmm. um yeah and sometimes like as we've said sometimes it was kevin spacey unfortunately but mm-hmm. other, danny devito hit it out of the park with every scene he was in yeah Except maybe the one where he's getting killed <laughs> even then he just looks so feeble like when he when you can see it in his eyes when he realizes what's about to happen um yeah but i mean he was a branch of the corruption he in was, a way. yeah he was it's um it's kind of like when you're in these i think this was what this film kind of shows is when you're in this world uh, you're um you know you, you're you're dancing on you know you're dancing on egg, eggshells really um and one and you may not even do anything wrong. like he, he was just continue, he didn't really do anything wrong it's just he'd gotten himself tied up with people that had such darkest and you know he was on the outskirts of it and he's certainly like you know ex- exploiting people um for smoking some weed and hooking up with someone like it's you know in the 50s and yeah, like blaming them for being communists which was a nice little window into mccarthyism yeah. back then yeah um, the red scare yep yeah which uh our old ronnie reagan uh helped propagate so fuck him again yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get fired from my job at some point, probably. <laughs> but it's okay. Right. Pints and popcorn's going to go national, so yeah. <laughs> global motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, he was he was not obviously like you know the the, the main protagonist of the film that you end up find um antagonist sorry I'll always... who is the main protagonist yeah you will always get that right. yeah i know what i'm saying and i just say the wrong thing this is like part of my i i am just a verbal diarrhea like that's just what happens to me sometimes i get it antagonist yeah. it, it gets talked about more and it doesn't yeah, yeah. I... um but the main like you don't know who's real like for half the movie, watching it again, I'm like, Vincenzo's got to be the best. Like, I know that it's Dudley Smith, uh, James Cromwell, who does... He does evil quite well, too. Also. He does! He's an evil man. Yeah. Considering... Not actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I cause I haven't I, seen Babe, but I'm sure Babe, like, lessens the edges around him. But oh, every movie yeah, I've he's, seen, he, he's not he's, a good guy. He's, like, the biggest time. fucking sweetheart of all time in Babe. He's, like, literally... I know. Dancing. That'll do. Yeah, that <laughs> that'll do, pig. That'll do. A, a great Australian uh, film. Is that Australian? Yeah, it's George Miller. The George Miller, Mad Max. George Miller made Babe. So, God damn it! If you want to talk, if you want to talk, <laughs> if you want to talk about career, uh, career different swings there, then yeah. Because the uh, wife in Babe is Magda Zubansky, who's, who's a really big Australian comedic actress. So, yeah. Right, but yeah, James. I Cromwell, haven't seen. Yeah, but in a lot of other movies, like, well, I think James Cromwell was in Star Trek: First Contact, and he was okay in that. Maybe I haven't seen that. He plays an asshole, and I'm looking at his rap sheet right now. He plays an asshole in Boardwalk Empire, which is a TV show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, where else do I know him as an asshole from? Clear a movie I grew up loving was because I like I read a lot of Tom Clancy when I was growing up was um clear and present danger and um he's the president in that and he's like an asshole right um because he's, he's like, in six feet under but he kind of plays like a i think he has alzheimer's in that so mm-hmm. i don't know so he's an asshole but he doesn't remember that he's an asshole or he's not really even an asshole 
he's just kind of like frustrating. So maybe that's where. Yeah. He's so definitely an asshole. Yeah, I'm trying. There's another movie that I think I like. I will remember sometime when I don't need to remember it and be frustrated. It didn't come to mind. But Clear and Present Danger is certainly one that like. Because they record him like saying, and it's like very foreshadowing to some of the shit we deal with now and in the past as well, I guess, with Nixon and whatnot. But he's just like, you know, this is what the president does. He makes decisions, you know, the kind of evil president. Um, right. Um, he was nominated for Babe. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> he's really good in it. I, I, can't t- I can't tell you I love Babe. As a, well, it's, I remember seeing it in cinema like when I was seven and... It was a really crazy movie to watch. Like, you know, it's talking pig, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he was in that, like, it might have just been LA Confidential, where he just, like, he's such a bastard. Yeah. He ends up being such a bastard in it that. So I'm looking at it, yeah. But he plays it really well. And he has that, uh, and you just don't expect it from him. Also, he's 6'7, which uh, I don't like. Uh, it's too tall. <laughs> Play basketball. Just <laughs> get out of here. Man, he'd make a good crooked man in the uh, Conjuring universe. Seeing that height and his kind of build. You're not going to understand He's that still at all. Still alive. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know, really know what you're talking about. But, uh, <laughs> Anyone yeah. who's seen the Conjuring 2 will know what I mean. Crooked man. I feel like James Cromwell could do it if you... I know Slender like... You'd be Slender Man. No, I, don't, I haven't seen Slender Man. I, don't know. Is, I think Slender Man and Crooked Man are the same thing. No, I think no. you call it. <laughs> no, Crooked Man is like a specific thing from The Conjuring Two, and it's not anything to do with Slender Man because Conjuring Two is set in like the seventies. So, all right, well, <laughs> uh, that's where that conversation ends for me. Yeah, um, I started when we started talking about the writing. I was starting to talk about um, the racial stuff with how they frame the discussion of. Of uh, American views towards, and and even not just like public views, but the people that were involved in the case itself, how they how they viewed African Americans in culture, and how they could be, how easy it was to scapegoat them in this film. Um, you know, there's there's a certain part there is like they're not they're not innocent men either in the sense of what they did to um, Inez, I think was the character's name. Um, and this is what this movie does really well is. It asks hard questions of you because no one's innocent. Everyone's kind of uh, got a, you know, even X Exley by the end of the film is um, corrupted himself somewhat, even though he's he's the moral straight lace of the story. But he's he is at the start to a fault. Like he's you know he annoys you at the start when he's you know he could be doing different things, but yeah, you don't know if he's gonna be the bad guy yeah. or like yeah, yeah. because. I mean, just pitting him against Russell Crowe's white character, um, Bud White, it just, like, you don't know who to root for at first, I guess. And you don't know that they're going to team up because, it. I mean, it reaches ahead in the second act when, mm. I mean, Exley straight up calls him out and I'm surprised that he didn't get a punch in on him. But they do end up fighting, mm. but... Uh, like a good Australian, uh, they find solace in a fight together. So. <laughs> what we do, we punch each other and then buy each other a beer. Um, Definitely what Russell Crowe does. So. <laughs> yeah, <it's, it's, laughs> sometimes uses a phone. 
Um, yeah, I thought that was him. I didn't want to say that, but yeah. <laughs> I couldn't remember if that was him or Christian Bale. Both Aussies, though. <laughs> Christian Bale's not Aussie. What? <laughs> is he New Zealand? Is no, he New Zealand? He's English. Christian Bale is? Yeah. Well, I thought I mean, he was Australian. He's, he, I'm he's a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's English. Yeah. We, we I didn't know that. Yeah. And yeah, it's funny. Um we will talk about maybe, just... maybe we'll talk about the casting of the movie and some of the behind the scenes stuff a bit more after the break, but yeah, Guy Pierce was actually born in England, I think, but then raised in Australia. He's English. Yeah. yeah. Guy Pierce is an Australian. Oh, I didn't know he grew up in Australia. Guy Pierce, yeah. He plays an American really well. I mean, so does Russell Crowe, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the also, other... James Cromwell is supposed to be Irish in this film. I think he's meant to have a bit of like, he's, you know, like maybe the first generation off the boat or he, he comes straight off the boat as a young man, maybe. That accent. Especially when not... you think about that. <laughs> when you think about it being the 50s and the amount of immigration that happened in the first half of the century and, and whatnot. Right. But yeah. And even before that, but. I can imagine those accents and some families took a while to die, and he may he may be first generation as well. So, yeah, it's just like it comes and goes, and I don't know if it was like a stylistic choice or James Cromwell was just like just forgot to do it sometimes. I'd say it must be stylistic because you when you watch him in movies like Clear and Present Danger is the one that's going to come to mind, or um, and Babe as well. Like he's he's very consistent in his other roles. So I have to imagine it was just a stylistic. Fucking movie. babe, are you? God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> he was nominated for Babe. He's very good in That's it. That's where the state of motion pictures was in 1996. <laughs> He's very good in that movie. It's like, it's an odd movie, but it's not bad. Um, have you seen the second one? Pig in the City. Fuck yeah, I have. <laughs> God damn it. That second one is legitimate. It's kind of terrible, but it's just so wild. Um, well, de- yeah, there was no way they were planning on having a sequel, but the first one was so popular. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah, so they just went, let's put the pig in the city. It's kind of like Home Alone 2, you know. Let's just get him Home more- Alone 2 is better than Home Alone, and I will die on that. Oh, yeah, I, you know, when you get Tim Curry and, you know, the, you know, the only bad part of the movie is Donald Trump's in it, but... Um, they cut that out um, on air here, the, his scene. No uh, shit. The last time I watched that, it, yeah. That's perfect. He's not needed at all. The brick scene in Home Alone 2 is maybe the funniest scene in film history. <laughs> <laughs> Just Marv getting repeatedly donked in the head by bricks that would... E- one one of those bricks would easily kill you. Yeah, I saw it. There's a really good video. There's a lot of good videos actually now on like that you just see for pop up on Facebook around Christmas time that like they animate what it would actually happen to a person if they like had a had a barrel of paint tipped at their head from a and one of yeah. them, one of them was like if you hit if it hits at the right speed at the right angle it'll actually knock the head like clean off. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I thought we were going to talk about police corruption. Now we're just talking. Oh, about we're, I was I was getting to it. We'll get to the, we'll get to that now before we go to a break. We'll but, get there. Yeah, but also like he gets hit with a paint can and then falls through a giant hole in the floor. A full story, and yeah. then gets up and walks, <laughs> and then gets electrocuted. Kind of like after he does. Pretty his, seriously, yeah. he gets. Destroyed. I mean, they show his skull, so <laughs> <laughs> it's a better film. I will stand by that forever. Yeah, I I, I love him. It has more depth. Yeah. Is James Cromwell in that? 
No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> what if James Cromwell just played like a bastard in Home Alone 2? He'd be... He didn't, but no, what if he did? Like, like one of the hotel guys, maybe. Like, Yeah. Oh, although, Tim Curry. Although I, although I love Tim Curry and Rob Schneider and those guys and that, like, as the douchebag yeah. hotel people, so... Yeah, I do hate Rob Schneider. Yeah, he's not, not... He's a piece of shit, but... It pisses me off that Adam Sandler continues having him in his movie... Uh, movie... I don't know what to call it. Universe? Yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> universe. Well, that's what you, you call call the Quentin yeah. Tarantino universe. Adam Sandler's got his... Adam right, Sandler I don't know universe. if uh, Adam Sandler's universe is quite as detailed as... Uh, Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not comparing the depth of their universes. I'm just saying they have their orbits. It's just like his crew, I guess, that does all his movies. Because everybody else in it's pretty cool. You know, like, Dan Patrick is in it. Yeah. Which is why. <laughs> but, the Danettes are yeah. in Pixels, so. Are they? God. Yeah, they're like... They're like I, I missed that one. Well, actually, I, I didn't see that. Pixels is actually... I Me and Andrea, really, it's like a... I don't know if it's a guilty pleasure or we just happily we'll, we'll openly say we enjoyed it. I think we watched it on a plane trip. But yeah, the Danettes are like it's like Seaton and uh it might be Seaton and Perloff or and I can't remember if the other two are spaced out. It's like when it's at a the president's press conference, which the president is Kevin James. Which back then <laughs> back then seemed out of out of this world. Now it's like, yeah, Kevin James could be president, I guess. I'd take it. Yeah. I'd take it right now. <laughs> but like I think I think it's Seaton asks a question or something, so Anyway, this is so far off off of um, serious discussions about the racial <laughs> question in the yeah. film, but we'll do that now. And then morning drinking for yeah. me, yeah. <laughs> so it happens. Yeah. Um, how did I was saying this film asks tough questions of you because it uh, it asks you both to root for characters that are you know morally complex because that that is the real world, as well as we have the issue of these, um, you know black men in the film that are arrested for a crime and they actually did do a crime but what they were uh, framed for and eventually murdered for was not the crime that that the police were using to place on right and it does uh, and but then you know both and the woman as well just you know she admits that she fabricated her evidence that or what she told to get just to get them killed because of her own her own justice she wanted served which was actually also fair enough as well but again it asked the question of the fact that she she knew that she could blame them because everyone would just believe it which is systemic racism and the police right. and the police knew it was easy to pin it on them because no one would fucking care either so right and it, they just it, wanted it really they actually, wanted the case over yeah and, and it, so they were they would believe it yeah so yeah the movie actually is incredible in asking is it does ask an incredibly hard question of you, which you can't actually really have any answers for beyond just say, stating this is exactly what systemic racism is, is the sub and it's, you know, it's cult systems and culture and society of how we, how we portray uh, minorities in film and, and in life and how we, you know, especially in the fifties, how people would have just read, you know, you would have had your families bringing you up with, you know, stories about these, you know, sa- you know, wh- however they described um, minorities, um, and in this instance, Black America was uh, for middle 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 white America was never that were never with that much praise, and so you have these just um, 
cultural norms of how we understand black America or how they understood it. And unfortunately that fed right into these guys, you know, they, they readily admitted to the crime of, um, they brought their friend in just to let, get him to lose his V card essentially was, it was what it was, wasn't it? And, um, which was, you know, by, uh, raping this woman, which is, you know, unforgivable, but, um, well, there's no, but is is just unforgivable. But what they didn't do was what the Night Owl murder, which was a massacre of people at a, a diner, which is obviously, um, I'm not going to compare crimes here, but that is the, you know, murdering lots of people is, um, st- a complete difference to the one guy going in and unfortunately raping this innocent woman. But because they, because no one cared, they could blame the crime on them. And, and the woman also did, she said, she, you know, she says when he asked her why, she's like, because no one's going to care if these guys get, they'll just believe it. And, and so I used that, the notion of that crime to get the justice I wanted. And, um, right. So there's lots of layers to that little storyline of it is that she's, this movie has a lot of talk about how we how we define what justice is and how we get it, because and that's you know an, an inherent problem in how policing is is enforced now is that justice is never you know it's never it's rarely ever black and white it's very there's a lot of gray areas to how we find out who is right and wrong and how we expend expend justice too and um, this little moment in this film really really asked a tough question as i said there's no real right answer to it it's just it, it asks you to think about it which is uh what we want films to do is just make us think yeah it also just shows how much of a hair trigger cops have yeah. <laughs> and yeah. when it comes to stuff because all that happened all they needed all that needed to set off the massacre of these guys who were like you said guilty of a crime but not that of a crime they didn't care about knowing if they were guilty or not, once they escaped jail, mm. um, they just wanted basically blood at that point, And all it took was a bottle to fall over. But they said right away, like right when they busted in, these guys were like, don't kill us. Mm. Like, just don't like, Hey, be cool. Don't kill us because they knew that that's how close they were to dying. And then, and all it took was a bottle falling over. Mm. And it was the same thing with Russell Crowe. They could have got information out of that guy. Um, who was uh who had kidnapped that woman but he just shot him right away yeah yeah instead of trying to extract information they didn't want to in a way they wanted to solve the crime but they wanted to solve it in a way that placated themselves i guess and they didn't want it to get too complicated and for them that was that was just blood basically yeah, and what I was saying, and what, what what we were saying before about how so much of this film and what they what they're doing is Hollywood Hollywood news style policing, which is that they they get the news that sells the papers and and gets them their medals and their big you know their big presentation for the papers and and their hero status because you know actually gets that after after that um, scene where he he shoots all those guys in the in the apartment and. You know he's a hero in the department, like because he's you know he's ostracized um, for a while at the start because of him um, testifying against uh, his officers for the roles of a, a racially charged prison beat up in the in early in the film. He's now celebrated for just massacring, you know, doing the same thing that they were blaming these guys for, but he's doing it with a badge. So it's like you know, right? Yeah, and I mean they did shoot like. He didn't shoot right away, so good on him. I mean, he he does have that 
that uh, quote-unquote good cop mentality of like not shooting right away. Mm. But his partner had the hair trigger, and you know, once I mean he was shooting to save his life, so it's not like he was. I don't know. It's, it's like it's very complicated. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it's it's a movie that yeah it is asking you because to... they are getting shot at. And, yeah, um, but not. I mean, it's his partner's. Yeah, air trigger. It's like it's just. I mean, you don't need shotguns. Mm-hmm. Like you just don't, like I don't know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it, um, like you're saying, it's it's they they're getting. They're placating their needs, so the just the ju- they're getting justice for the one thing. But then, you know, part of law enforcement should be um, finding out the root of the root of the problem. Which you know, again, like you said, if they hadn't shot the guy that was holding the woman in the in the house, they might have been out of or they might have been all of those of, guys. They yeah, could have exactly. got some really answers. Yeah, because they could have just found out why. Why do you know that this guy exists? Is is there a system of like traffic? Like it could, it's like it could be a whole sex trafficking ring that. They could have uncovered deeper things about and really actually brought about some fundamental change. But again, this is the problem in policing that we, you know, we're talking about now about how law enforcement, you know, people are. That's <laughs> the big thing now is people are saying, "Oh, if you defund the police, who will I call if I get if I, you know, women or people are saying, oh, who are you going to call when you get raped?" And all the women that have suffered sexual violence or domestic abuse are saying. Well, we called the police and got nothing, so I guess we're just gonna we'll be yeah exactly will change. So, or uh, they talked them out of testifying, or they brought them in and then proceeded to. I just like it feels dirty to even say it, but they proceed like in thirty six states, it's like basically legal to rape someone in jail. Yeah, including home state, which is pretty horrifying mm. when you think about it. Yeah, no, there's been uh-huh. so there's has been some high profile cases about women saying, you know, this is. And they and they've gotten away with it because they've yeah it's yeah one of the cops just said oh like it was consensual it's like it can't be consensual if it one's in prison like regardless of any even if she said she wanted to it's still there's a power dynamic there that isn't that I don't even know <laughs> it's just like, well it's yeah it, it it is abuse of power that's what it is um, right it should be it so should, it's, it's, it's morally wrong and. Even if you just go and like poli- like what law enforcement ethics should be, um, and I'll say law enforcement or police because I'm trying to move away from the using of police and just talk about law enforcement as something that we revolutionise. Hopefully, over the next coming years, um, out of this moment that we're in, but yeah, law enforcement ethics should never have never be close to that. So it's just it, it, it is you know the mind boggles at how some of these laws uh, ha- come around and. Uh, but this movie does, you know, we're talking about a movie that's set in the 50s and it was a book written in the 90s and James Elroy was writing crime novels for years. Um, I think this is the third book in a series of, or like, you know, a series of novels with the same characters and whatnot. And, you know, it's like all this kind of stuff we've known about for years. Um, you know, corruption in police has been inherent ever since it started. So it's... um. Amazing that it's had to come to this moment now that we're in, and we're still fighting against the systems and the people that believe in uh, believe in it. So it's uh, you know, it is the world we live in, unfortunately. But that's what we're trying to change, and that's why movies like this are good. If you actually start like you know beyond the entertainment value of the film, which we'll get into the, uh, I think we'll get after the break we have in a moment, we'll get into the casting of Crow and um, Basinger and uh, Pierce and uh, DeVito and. Um, some great casting <laughs> yeah. and uh, there and the performances, but beyond that, you know, it's um, 
you know these films that beyond that entertainment value they have a deeper deeper thing that we can find in them and uh, it's what was uh, surprising rewatching it this time like how much of it you could take out of it and play straight into the moment we're in now which you know while we picked this movie for that we were also picking it just as a movie that we enjoy but it's amazing how it how it just flows into what we're what we're living right now yeah and it's not surprising that it came out five years after the rodney king um incident in the riots of 92 and all of that stuff i'm sure uh, that had a big deal of why it was greenlit at the time other than it obviously being worthy of being greenlit yeah. But, uh, well, I think they got the they got the the studio got the rights for the book back in the nine uh, nineteen ninety. So it was pre, it was certainly pre the Rodney King stuff, and they were developing it for years. But you know that kind of that kind of moment would certainly be in the writers' minds as they re- redoing the script. To, I'm sure to just as an angle, even if it's just a subconscious angle into how they treat police, um, the attitude of police and how the, the corruption of the department for sure. Anyway, I think it's about time for a break because I <laughs> would like a beer for the second half. So <laughs> yeah, a beer sounds <laughs> I'm going to dig one out of my fridge and uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> I just wanted to lose my cherry. She don't die, so I don't die. She don't die, so I don't die. Lewis, who's the girl? What's her name? <laughs> Who are you talking about? <laughs> Was she at the night out? <laughs> Lewis, listen to me. Was she at the night out? <laughs> this newspaper shit ain't shit. Where's the girl Fontaine's talking about? Did you kill her? He wanted Lewis to lose his cherry, but that wasn't enough. So things got out of hand and you made her bleed. She bled on your clothes, so you burned the clothes. I told you that! Now listen to me. If that girl is still alive, she's the only chance you've got. I think she's alive. You think? Then where is she now? Did you leave her someplace? Did you sell her out? <laughs> Tell me where she is. Move! <laughs> White? One in six. Where's the girl? White, I have this under control. Put the weapon where down. Where is the girl? Avalon, Brown Corner House, upstairs. All right. It's like Nate plus three inches. <laughs> that's how tall he is. Like, that's insane. I'm glad I just hit record as you started going off about James Cromwell's height because I was just like, this is going to be. Well, it's insane. <laughs> it's too tall. It's too tall for human. Well, it, it's, yeah, too tall for... He doesn't look like... He always looks tall and menacing, I guess. But I didn't actually realize he was that tall. Like that, I'd be looking up at that guy. So I, I just assumed he was like around my height or a bit taller, but... Yeah, it's because he's wiry. Yeah. He's skinny. So... Very tall. Very menacing. Kind of like Stephen Merchant and Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Yeah, when he's looking down, <laughs> so. looking down at Rockwell. Very... And they did that on purpose, obviously. But, yeah. Uh, hey, you guys can hear all of our ideas on that, uh, you know, epi- on that episode. Episode five or six, one of those two. You'll find it. It's I've lost count, which is nice. Literally titled Jojo Rabbit, so it's not not hard to find. But <laughs> 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 you don't need the episode number to find it. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, 
James Cromwell, obviously one of many great actors cast in this um, film, and great transition. Yeah, uh, it was it was a really, I think a big thing about this film when you look back on it, you don't realize, but um, obviously uh, Russell Crowe and Guy Pearce were incredibly unknown um, in 1997 beyond people who, right. you know, Russell Crowe had a, a very memorable role in Romper Stomper, which is a film about neo-Nazi. Like, is a um obviously a hard a very famous film if you know your films like that but it's a it's obviously a very adult film about some dark parts of australia um romper stomper it's it's yeah he plays a skinhead in that movie so it's uh they actually did a tv show of it recently that kind of like again because of everything going on now it's very relevant that you know hate groups and whatnot but Curtis Hansen, who obviously directs this film, he'd seen Rumpa Stomper and really liked Russell Crowe's role, so that's how we uh, how we came about um, casting him in this film. And he he had to fight for both Crowe and and Pierce apparently because of obviously they're being them being unknown. The studio studio was worried about having unknowns in this, but he he just just thought they were the right guys for it. And obviously he got he got them to tape auditions and showed them, and the and the studio was like, yeah, all right, yeah, no, go with them, but. It was a bold choice because it's um, if you're looking to make a you know make a movie that's going to make money, um, the easy thing to do is is cast names that can that immediately dr- sell a certain amount of tickets. But he uh, right, they could have thrown Tom Cruise in there at that in '97. Yeah, and it would have been a big deal. But um, I mean, it's fun looking back on it though because they've both done so many things since then. Yeah, this, just this kinda... movie launched their American careers really. Yeah, and uh, rightfully so because they're both great actors. And um, well, I don't. Know. Yeah, I think Russell Crowe's a great actor. Yeah, he. There's a lot of bit. I, uh, Gladiator. I love that movie, and I think he's actually really good in it. Um, he had one Best Actor for it. So, um, but uh, yeah, I've watched that twice in the last week, randomly because it's been on IFC. It's a great movie. Um, it's good. I love it. I think it's it's elevated by some obviously really well production production design is fantastic and the fact that in 2000 or 99 or whatever they the CGI like distance views of Rome and stuff are just like really really fucking good. And there's Yeah, a, it holds up in yeah, yeah. There's a surreal magic element to it obviously with the the um afterlife kind of parts of it and the the way it looks as well, but um obviously Phoenix is unreal in that movie and uh Yeah, I think he's the better actor in the film. Yeah. Yeah, and he got nominated for supporting for that too. So, oh, you should have won. Yeah, probably. I, can't <laughs> I, can't, I don't know who he won over that. We lady. talked about this, I think, on like a couple. Uh, we talked about it on a recent podcast. Phoenix comes but... up a lot randomly since we haven't actually done a movie that's locked in on him yet. I don't think, but yeah, yeah, that's right. But have we not? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's one sixteen a.m. and I've, I'm drinking a masala spiced porter right now, so. Yeah, usually this is flipped. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, no, like, I think what solidified Crow as a solid actor was his role in Nice Guys, because he kind of plays a, a similar role in a lot of films, I think. Mm. It's just the gruff guy. But Nice Guys, he's gruff, but, like, has this, like, witty comedic edge to him. Yeah. I'll tell you the one that I Because then this think. is gruff. I think one of his best roles um, is another Oscar-nominated one that he didn't win for was A, a Beautiful Mind. I think that is actually... 
Right. That yeah. movie is really good, and he actually has to do something. He's a- he's acting his ass off in that movie, and obviously with the um the issues that the character has, I can't remember. I'm trying. It was like he was bipolar, or or he had he It's a schizophrenia, isn't it? Because he's like he's seeing yeah. He, like because Ed Harris is like this figment of his imagination because he's thinking he's being targeted by the government and whatnot. But I, I haven't seen it in a long time, so I can't. I also remember. think. The guy that he's playing like was on the spectrum as well. In real- yeah, I, I, yeah. It, I mean, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. So that that movie was the one that I, I think I watched. And was like, he's actually a really great actor, and he gets typecast, and people forget that. I think like when they see Russell Crowe movies, like you know, because he often does like his role in L.A. Confidential was a a tough guy role. Um, I mean, he straight up says it in the film, too. On the surface, it's tough to roll, but there's some heart to his character as well. And and he certainly has his moment of uh, showing the moral complexity because, you know, his whole role at the start of the film was like he's... He feels like he's he's a... You know, every character has their own form of justice and he feels like he's a brute force form of justice rather than, you know, bend the rules but um, dish out justice that people deserve even if, if, you know, the police textbook doesn't say you should do it. But then, um, you know, he's... The film opens with him uh, saving that woman from a dis- domestic abuse situation, and then he ends up um, hating himself for it, but dishing out like just losing his temper. And um, it's it's hard to see in a movie now, and it, it's you know a problematic element of film, but it is also real. It is realistic to what the world was and still is, unfortunately. Um, right. And so he he slaps uh, hits Kim Basinger's. Um, Lynn, Lynn. Uh, a couple of times and a really powerful scene and uh, ba- basically does a really great job in that scene as well of acting and and he that's a moment that you see like his shaking fist and the uh, wide-eyed realization of what he's done and the hate you can see himself having for himself yeah. straight away and when he runs away it's a really great moment of again like where you actually see the depth of uh, crow's acting chops that you often forget about because you you have an image in your head of who he is and as, as an actor, and it's often, you know, whatever movies you love him in, you you remember the brute force moments, you know, in Gladiator. It's you know him swinging his sword and being. The but gladiator. he has yeah emotional. He has, he has emotional depth oh. to his to his um, you know, Gladiator when he's crying at, at his wife's feet and the the snot and tears and saliva. That's that's a really powerful <laughs> moment. So you know you you so much coronavirus, <laughs> but uh, I mean the scene where. Uh, the scene with him and the sister of Joaquin Phoenix, I can't think of her character's name right now, but the scene with her in the cell, mm. it, I watched that. Um, that was on IFC again yesterday, I think. Or maybe it's like being, it's on some channel here. And uh, that scene is great acting by him because he's just like furious, but like emotional, but trying to be, uh, yeah, it's just a great scene. Yeah. There's just too much action in Gladiator for me. I know that sounds lame, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's part of what I love. Like, I think the the opening battle is amazing. Um, well, I think the battle is, but like the Gladiator stuff, I could just do without. Yeah, I guess I just you know, I'm hist- like part of my love of history is a, a fascination with historical, uh, you know, ways of. It's it's dark, but you know how how people would treat each other and glad and gladiator gladiator was um, the gladiator arena was a big part of history and and how you know, right so um, and the 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 
battle where they reenact this. We should do Gladiator sometimes, so I shouldn't get into it too much. But well, I just think people like Gladiator for the wrong reasons, I guess, because there's like a bigger message to be had from Gladiator. Yeah. But like, and I think Sopranos, the show, really like dives into that because like all those mobsters love Gladiator, but it's like they can't understand any of. They just love that. I mean, there's literally a scene where Ralphie is like describing to AJ the guy getting like hit with a mace. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's like that's not what it's about. That's not what this movie's about at all. Yeah, but I think all movies have that. I remember, I remember when Saving Private Ryan first premiered on TV in Australia, and everyone was at school talking about. It was back in the day when the movies on TV was the, your main access to them, right? And everyone was talking about the opening battle and how cool it was, and it's just like it's not. It's not the message. To that is me. very not cool. Yeah, but it was. It was I've told you about this before. Yeah. But it was it's it was a le- it was twelve year old kids who just seen Saving Private Ryan. They didn't understand the context of what they were watching. They just thought it was an action movie. No, I, when I said I I told you this before, it was about how um, I was referring to when my mom watched that film mm-hmm. with my grandma and step grandpa who fought in World War Two, and I was just in the other room watching like sports or some shit. And they were watching it, and that first scene goes on, and, like, my mom and grandma were just being, like, oh, my, like, literally saying very loudly, like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, they were, like, horrified by it. So, it's, like, it's very not cool. Yeah. Because my pops, my pops, my grandpops uh, went through uh, Normandy. I think it was the 7th, though, so they had already established, but his papers say that he went right through Normandy. So it's like it easily could have been I like I could not exist because of that. So like it's very not cool. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean more in general. That people that don't. Yeah, we were talking about it with uh, what movie we did we do a few weeks ago, Jojo Rabbit. Um, you know, people were talking about that being problematic if you didn't understand the history of it, because then people, you know, the people were just like, "Oh, it's glorifying Hitler." It's like it's not. It's just people. It's literally mocking him. Yeah, I know. Like, that's what I'm just like, as a general point. I'm just saying. There's always going to be people with pop, mass, massly consumed movies that will enjoy it for reasons that aren't actually what you should enjoy it for. And I enjoy Gladiator for both the action, but also the deeper parts of it, like the political maneuverings in that movie, like how they kind of shine a light on how Rome, Ro- Roman politics worked was really great too. So, yeah. Again, tangent. Yeah. Off on a tangent so far away but it's yeah. a movie podcast we're talking about movies yeah and we're talking about russell crowe and how great he was and his his acting i mean this led to him getting gladiator probably yeah i, I, I mean he, no, he made some other films in between but yeah but he doesn't get he doesn't get gladiator if he doesn't get any of his career i don't think if you know even if he was going to have a career that you know it's kind of a sliding doors moment if you he doesn't get la confidential he might get his way in somewhere else but it might not lead to him having gladiator because maybe his breaks a couple of years later or or it never happens who knows but la confidential was such a huge movie and you know obviously he he was one of the main three um you know of the three main cops it was him spacey and and pierce as those three roles so he was um one of the big parts of one of the big movies of 1997 so it exploded his career as it did guy pierce who we'll get to in a second and and kind of kevin spacey to be honest with you i mean i guess usual suspects had already happened yeah, but, but he was still a young up and coming. American Beauty hadn't happened yet, no, which no. I think is an amazing film, which should be remade so I can watch it without him in it. <laughs> like we re 
We remake so many movies that don't need to be remade, but that one would be good. Mm. <laughs> like, I think especially now you could do that. Yeah, we're gonna have to With, do a pot on it sometime, just so I can, because you you know that you you're a very, have you seen you've seen American Beauty? No, right? we talked about this a few weeks back on the pod, and you were mad at me. Was I sober? <laughs> like, I'm gonna if it was I, in I'm gonna, May, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play. No, it was before that. It would. I'm 99% sure we were both drinking. That sounds about it's right. It's the Find Some Popcorn podcast. We were, like, one of us was drinking for sure. Like yeah. we American Beauty is really good. And I think it reflects American society even more now. Mm. Especially as millennials get into that age where you're supposed to be owning a house and having a family with a white picket fence and stuff that hasn't existed forever since like the 1950s basically but yeah. uh what and even, whole then, and even then it was a flawed ideal <laughs> exactly i yeah. mean we see it in la confidential there's a lot of people in the 1950s not living the american dream but no, the everybody white, the looks white, back the white picket fence you know kind of moment could have been at the start of the film when he's looking in you know bud's looking in the window and seeing someone being abused by their partner so exactly yeah, that's a lot of what was you know that's that kind of stuff was going on very very regularly uh, yeah, it just what it, yeah, it wasn't problematic back then. So it's like fuck the American dream. Like <laughs> it didn't yeah. ever exist. It was never a thing. It's never. Existed. I mean, I watch. That's why, like, uh, I hate. I love that. You know, there's people posted a lot. It's like that speech that opens the new newsroom TV show where Jeff Daniels says, you know, yeah, America yeah. was never fucking great. You know, fuck this country. And but he's like, but it used to. That's be. That's not what he says at all. But yeah, I know. It's just like nobody says. <laughs> He kind of, he kind of does. That's his, paraphrasing. He does kind of say, that's, "Fuck the country." Yeah, and, a little bit. Yeah, but then, like, what I hate is when he goes to, "But it used to be," and I'm like, "No, it didn't. It never did." Yeah, I mean, LA, LA, Confidential shows it. The 1950s was like, yeah. if you if you take, you know, this is a fictional movie, but. I, it's all based on thing based on the society of the fifties that was there, and it shows how fucked up the country was. It just was good for white people, so that's why it, you know, that's why I I have problems with that newsroom bit. But anyway, that's a complete tangent. But well, yeah, he plays a conservative from Nebraska in that show, so I yeah. have problems with that as well. <laughs> uh, but that's a, <laughs> it's a whole different story. Different yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this just shows that this stuff has always existed and the idea of like the greatest generation. Um, I can't remember what podcast it, I think it's Bill Burr. who says, it's like, Oh, we always talk about the greatest generation, you know, save the world from fascism and all that stuff. They were wife beaters. They were racist. They yeah. were <laughs> problematic at every level. Mm-hmm. All they did was win a war, which yeah. is, Hey, it's great. But yeah, like I'm, I'm never going to, I think that's that's probably the issue with deifying things. You know, it's like we're having the issue with the Winston, Winston Churchill ch- statues being dropped. It's like people are like, oh, we wouldn't be here with you know he saved the world. It's like he also fucked over a lot of people. So you know, right? It's a, it's a history depends on who you ask. You know, people in um in Afghanistan or India or will tell you Churchill you know was complicit in the murder of millions, so tens of millions. So you know. It's all depending on who you ask. It's that's why history is so complicated, and why LA Confidential kind of shows why history is so complicated, and why you need to ha- re- need to read about it and have an understanding of how nuance works and how 
there is no there is no real right answer. There's no heroes, and there's no. It's just there, there's the the gray areas of who did the right thing when the when the when the calling happened. You know, if you did the right thing at the right time, but then kept doing the right thing. You know, you know Churchill. Churchill, the reason Churchill could lead England through a war, and this is my brutal, honest truth about it, is because he had a lot of experience in war because of all the fucking bad things he did. So he knew he had yeah. the, he had the calmness in that situation because he'd been going through it for thirty goddamn years. He like the failed Gallipoli um, invasion that sent millions of Australians and New Zealanders to their deaths on the Gallipoli Peninsula because he just landed them on a on a fucking steep hill with Turkish mach- machine guns raining down on them for months. Was Churchill's idea, and he fucked it up completely. It was a completely failed mission, and that was like thirty years before the end of um, World War Two. So he had experience, and that's why, like, that's why he was calm in the moment and made the right decisions then. But it doesn't excuse the rest of it. Complete different tangent again. But this is how you've got to understand the history of what's going on in LA Confidential, and the way, like, the ways to read the movie and and understand the movie is it is a lot of hard questions about, and it's asking you if you don't have an understanding about racial politics and the systemic racism and how policing really works and all those things it's asking you to understand them and learn about them and understand that all these gray areas this this microcosm of the world that la confidential gives you for a few weeks or months or however the timeline of the movie is is kind of yeah i know the book the book actually goes over about seven years or something like that but i think the the movie's over a few weeks or months probably because exactly i don't i don't think Months. Yeah. I think it's weak. Yeah. And Dudley Smith uh, is not killed in uh, the book because he survives and goes on to other books. But uh, yeah, and like, did Churchill really make all the right decisions? Decisions, <laughs> or or was he bailed out? You know, by well, a I- powerful force from the West. Yeah, well, uh, the other thing is, is like, well, what, what else would? And you... the East, for that matter. I mean, yeah. Russia and America basically won well, that, that was, war. That was my thing. Can, was yeah, like, the only thing you could do at that point was just defend the country with everything you have. And people will say Churchill rallied people, and he did. And people did. Were, he did. Were he... inspired, so I understand that. But he was also. Je- like, He's a cunning linguist. Yeah, and people didn't understand how desperate Germany was getting already at that point, and that's why Germany ended up going east and fucking up their campaign to Russia because they didn't understand winter would fuck their tanks and they didn't give the right clothing to their troops and whatnot. Despite history, yeah, always. Yeah, Napoleon's ghost is like standing there going, fuck, don't do it, you fucking idiots. Don't do it. Um, and what, it was Alexander the Great or somebody like that tried it as well. Yeah. Fucked up. So, yeah. Anyway, again, this Whatever. Tangent, we'll have right? a history podcast <laughs> one day as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess the other casting we've just we talked about Russell Crowe, but um, and you know I will actually we'll get to that in a moment. Guy Pearce was um again another Australian actor, um although he's English. A, yeah, I mean he's Australian. Truth. He grew up in Australia. I think his his citizenship is Australian or something. But again, Russell Crowe is like Ben Simmons. Yeah, <laughs> Russell Crowe is um was born in New Zealand but grew up in Australia. So. The way Australian, the way actors work in Australia is, if you were born somewhere else but you grew up in Australia and we like you, then we claim you. That's why Mel Gibson isn't Australian anymore. But <laughs> God damn it! Does that mean he's American? Yeah, well, he he was born in America, grew up in Australia. He he was in the original Mad Max with an Australian accent. 
His ac- Mel Gibson's accent was dubbed in the original release of Mad Max in, in America like everyone else's was. But um, but now that he's he's a, a fucking idiot, we we haven't claimed Mel Gibson for a long time. So anyway, what about Nicole Kidman? Oh yeah, we claim her. Yeah. Oh yeah. She, she lost she, the accent super hard. No, but she is. A, she has a. She's born and bred Australian. Like, so we have to, we have to claim her really. Yeah. yeah, she's like married to Keith Urban. This is fucking gross. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, a, it's an Australian. It's an Australian power couple. That one. How skanky bugs <laughs> overall. I think. Um. Anyway, Guy Pierce. Uh, again. He's amazing. Yeah, he's he, he. I think his is the most impressive performance of the film, including, and I will get to basing her, and I think she's actually. I was questioning how much she deserved the Oscar when I was going into watching the film, and after I watched it, I was like, eh. I, when I saw everyone else as nominated, I was like, she's as deserving as anyone. But yeah, Guy Pierce, I think, was my favorite performance of the film. I think because he's having to play someone. That it's role, complicated role. Yeah, it's complicated because he's having a you know at the start of the film he's playing the most by the book cop you know he's the by the book by the book cop like um, <laughs> right yeah he's squeaky clean yeah and he's like he's saying you know and it shows the it shows the moral complex of policing is that if people are asking him are you going to do what are you going to do in this situation we're going to do and he's saying what you should do but then everyone's saying yeah but you can't do that like it's right it's, <laughs> yeah. it lays out kind of the thesis of the film very early of, of how they they treat the um, nuance and compl- complexities of the job and, and of life in general, really. But yeah, he's he's your uh, you know they they all all three of the main cops have this their own angle into how they expend justice and their their views on the moral their moral obligation to justice versus what's right and how that works in policing. And he he starts off with believing that whatever you know law that how you're meant to police is exactly by the book and um unfortunately that's flawed as well so it is and he has to learn that you know you have to break the rules to get actual justice in the world Um, yeah exactly and that brings me to like the biggest question i have from this is and it's not about guy pierce or actually but it's (laughs) is bud what is bud white a good cop yeah, well, look, I, I, I <laughs> yeah, well, look is that's it. <laughs> I don't like you know the good cop thing at the moment is like a loaded question anyway, but I don't like. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think he's mor- morally he's he's trying his morals are he thinks he's doing the right thing, and it's obviously he's not. I don't think there's anything. He certainly gets involved in the the racial beat up at the start of the film, so the, the, you know he's he's obviously flawed in that sense. But he's a product, you know, you could say he's a product of his time. Um, and I'd never, you never see beyond that. And he going down there with the with those guys is more just a. Well, he goes down there to actually get his partner out of it, and then just gets. Oh well, yeah, split, so, yeah, break it up. Yeah, so I I think he's a good he's a good man. Um, and his job is a cop, so he's trying to do the best job he can. And obviously, anyway, he's leaving at the end of the film to go be with the woman, so um, and try to be a better man. Is Arizona? It? Yeah. Bisbee. I want that pillow. I want that pillow that she has. Yeah. That has, but Nebraska. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, it's a cool it looks pillow. like is is she from Bisbee, Arizona? Because it's like a Bisbee there too. 
Does it? That yeah. might be it. Well, my my this is like a real really small Easter egg that doesn't matter at all, but um three ten to Yuma, they go to Bisbee, Arizona. Um the to uh that's where they meet up and capture Russell Crowe's character who plays the Hey yeah, so you know making little links in there. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> also Bisbee sounds like some weird shit Australians like slang for I don't know, a wicket or a <laughs> a ball or a a beer or something. Like Have a bisbee or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you could be like Froffy's Werner took five bisbees in the cricket game today. Yeah. And then he had another 10 Bisbees at the bar after. You know what I'm saying? He does. It just seems that way. He does sink a lot of Bisbees. Yeah. Proud of him. <laughs> Sculpting young minds, Bisbeeing the future. <laughs> I'm going to have to. I don't even know if he listens to the pod, but I'll have to just rip that. I think uh, we might be too academic for him. <laughs> <laughs> He, he is a, he is he is literally a teacher, so he's biz being all future minds. I don't like this. This is why Australia is the way it is. <laughs> I'm gonna. That'll be. I'm, he's gonna listen to this and like start his own podcast just to get back at you because he's gonna be so mad. If he can figure it out, all the power to him. <laughs> <laughs> all the power to him. Yeah, there was a lot of power against his crows team last night, so. Oh, and now it's a monsoon on him. <laughs> just maybe you guys call monsoons bitches. I don't know. I had this is a funny story. Um, I was in a this is a complete tangent again, but um, it's it's an Australian versus American thing, so it's kind of on on brand. Sounds about I was right. in I was in a I was in a class in college, and it was like some some science class I had to do for you know your science credits, whatever. It was something to do with environment. And the instructor was talking about like cyclones and typhoons and how they're called different things in different parts of the world. And then she just sits there and goes, yes, in Australia, they're called willy willies. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what you guys call blowjobs, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we don't call, we just call them cyclones. And I, I put my hand up and she's like, and I, well, actually, I didn't even put my hand up. I said, I just said, no, we don't. And she, like, was, no. and, she was, and she was like, no, they do. And I was like, no, sorry, I'm Australian and we don't. And she, then she realized, the, like, I don't think she realized at first that when I said, no, we don't, that I was Australian. She was like, just was like, no, they do. I was like, no, I'm from there. And then the, the whole class has turned around and looked and she's like, well, it's just what I read. I was like, I don't know what book would have that. And I just, I, I, I still got a good grade. Sounds like a book written by me. Because... <laughs> uh... <laughs> Yeah, had, uh, I had twenty Bisbees last night and slept through the Willy Willy. <laughs> yeah, oh god, that uh, sounds dirty. That <laughs> sounds like. All right, I'm not even gonna go there. Yeah, uh, let's get back to Guy Pierce's great. Yeah, Guy Pierce was um wonderful in this movie, and he uh, like you you were saying off air how his career has been an interesting one because it's not he's never he's done a few high budget movies that didn't do well at like the time machine remake was like a big budget um flop in a little flop. bit yeah um but he has done a lot of great films over the years that are just i was recommending to you off air the proposition and um as a great australian western that is a really fucking great film um incredibly well reviewed it's got some big actors in it too like a john hurts in there and denny houston and um yeah a really great film 
and he's great in that and he's you know right up to like the last few years he's been acting in some great films and um great australian film from before la confidential was uh was um priscilla queen of the desert which is a great australian uh film that um he was really great in and showed his acting range in that film if you if you've seen it you know um so yeah the his the way he had to play the straight laced um obviously and even uh, both Crow and him had to go through a lot of dialect coaching and whatnot, obviously with their Australian accents, to come in and do these roles. So they, they moved to LA. I think Hanson got them both to move to LA a few months before filming was going to start and got like... Crow apparently rented himself a, a small apartment because he wanted to like feel like a big like the big brute man he was. So he bought him... He rented a small apartment to like get used to this idea of feeling bigger than your surrounds. And... and, um, and uh, and uh, then they just ingratiated, ingratiated, like got into the LA just scene and culture, and just un- got understood the the sun and the you know even though LA obviously in 1996 was going to be different than LA in 1950s, the the you know the the culture and um, the climate and all those things they're getting used to, and just and even just the, you know the voices and and uh, you know apparently Guy Pierce um, got given a well a cop was assigned to him to give him ride-alongs and um in an interesting anecdote to the times we're living in now and guy pierce apparently gave up on the ride-alongs because he said contemporary policing at that time had completely changed and wasn't wasn't what it was in 1950s and the cop was apparently a racist <laughs> so he didn't oh uh, yeah he did, of course he did, like he did, so he didn't want to ride along with him and it's just interesting that and he said he just watched police films from back then instead like you know like you know archival footage of what it was like because he's like i'm not going to get anything out of these modern guys because policing has gotten away from even what it was then and this is the issue we're dealing with now too but um yeah it's an interesting anecdote to the production of the film that's the experience guy pierce had which is a microcosm of what we're dealing with now as well is that you know those bad apples as some people like to say are uh, ever present um throughout history in the in the forces yeah it's definitely yeah it's frustrating to talk about. I, I, they say it's evolved into this, into this monster that it is now, but it seems like it's always been there because it's always been about people with limited knowledge of the world. I'll say it that way. Limited knowledge of the world who are power hungry because it's like, I think we talked about this last week, the tweet that I saw. It's like, if you like, somebody tweeted and there's a lot of ire in the tweet and there's a lot of ire in a lot of tweets right now. And it's Mm -hmm. just something. And, and it's, you know, it's all based in a fear of like literally being murdered by these people that we're talking about, these crooked people. So there should be ire. There should be pain. There should be anguish in these tweets because we're allowing people who are so under trained and overfunded to literally police mm-hmm. our neighborhoods and if you're not white that's a humongous problem this film hints on that which we've already said mm-hmm. but uh the tweet said if you really wanted to help somebody you'd become an emt or a firefighter those people have to help people every single day that they work they're literally helping mm-hmm. if you want power because you never had power in your entire life whether it was education with that chick that you couldn't get or whatever, if you want that power, then you get a badge yeah, and a gun. Yeah, and I think and, that's what Guy Pearce's experience was there, is that 
you know that the policing that they and the movie certainly does a good job of showing how com- complicated and um and flawed the LAPD was but you know his experience himself was that the <laughs> these people that are meant to be uh serving and protecting were uh, incredibly flawed and troubled and um individuals his his ride along experience at least showed that so yeah um, interesting for his role as well because he was trying to play a straight-laced cop that didn't, you know, he was someone, his his cop was almost the one that, you know, they say doesn't see colour and stuff because he was just literally by the book. He's like, yeah, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't go down there and beat them up. You just leave him like, you know. I mean, yeah, he tried to stop that mob at the start of the, the film and it kind of sets a precedent of like, oh, this guy's not, like, there, there's so many bad apples. Mm. And I fucking hate that phrase, by the way. Like, I, just, I use it I use it in a condescending term. It's just as... Yeah, like, we're all, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. We have quotes around it. But like, mm. the over the overwhelming amount of bad apples overrun a single person. They mm. spill over him like a ty- typhoon or a willy-willy. <laughs> and it just, like... That's why you can't just say a few bad apples. Mm. It's mob mentality with these people. And as we have already talked about, they protect their own. So a few bad apples become a rotten bunch. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Um, basing his performance, um, we were saying... Off, we, we were, I think we both went into the film wondering if she actually... I just don't... I don't remember... Her, it's an understated performance, I guess. She's playing, but her role is kind of when you think about her character afterwards. And I tried to think about it more, and the way she plays it is, she has to be kind of this strong, um, you know, doesn't let anything bother her. Kind of, you know, the only time she really shows true emotion is after Bud has hit her, because she's. It's kind of that moment that because she does have that incredible monologue when. Um, I, th- I think Exley's trying to say, oh, you, you're just with Bud for, you know, there's, you you don't really care for him. And she goes on this incredible monologue about how Bud's the only person that I can feel, I, he's honest with me. And like, there's this real, after watching it again, I was like really respectful of the performance more than I thought I would be. Um, and I think she, then looking at the other, uh, there were some other great performances that year. I think Mini Driver was uh, nominated for Goodwill Hunting and uh, Goodwill Hunting is a great film too. And, I got nothing against that performance. Um, Old Lady in Titanic. Not sure that was worthy of a nomination, but whatever. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. That movie was just that movie was just gonna get automatically nominated for every fucking category it could, I guess. So. Julianne Moore was nominated for Boogie Nights, and uh, a worthy nomination, I think. Worthy, maybe of winning it. Yeah. I mean, her character is brutal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean. She shows a lot of emotion in that, but I can see why Basinger won. Yeah, it's Boogie it, Nights was kind of uh, viewed as a outlier at that point. Mm-hmm. Paul Thomas Anderson wasn't the Paul Thomas Anderson of today back then, but he got the best out of Julianne Moore in that, um, and she does show a lot of emotion in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she just plays a coked out <laughs> porn star. I mean, like that's what she played. Yeah, so. Yeah. I didn't think the Academy was going to recognize that in 1997. Mm. And Basinger is all right. Yeah. I think she's got to be reserved because, like, you know, if you're a prostitute, particularly a high-end one in that situation, you've got to not let anything phase you as well, I think, is part of it. Um, What is it? Who's she meant to be? Veronica Lake or something like that is who she's meant to look like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's Lane. Is it Lane? I feel like it's Lake, but I... 
I classic. Could, I could be wrong. Um, it's Veronica. This is literally it's, 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 it's Veronica. Bar. No, it's Veronica Lake. I've just I've got the, the the wiki open, so thankfully I was right. Um, yep. This is why people at the O bar tried to hop off bar stools to fight me um, <laughs> when I was just talking words. So. And I had to step in and tell them to fuck off. Yeah, I'm a pacifist. <laughs> I was I was the I was the Bud White to your uh, Exley. Yeah, I kept like getting that vibe throughout the film <laughs> like if we're gonna like ever since you started photoshopping our faces onto uh the movie posters i always think about like what duo we would truly represent in each film and i, I do think i'm more the exley and you're more the budway right, <laughs> and not just um because well i guess they're both australian now so yeah since you guys are claiming every actor i guess if they if they lived here for any time yeah, they will claim, and if they, yeah, if their accent's genuine, for sure. Um, Get Ben Simmons in a movie. <laughs> uh, the other note before we get to you know closing up and doing Rotten Tomatoes and whatnot, um, I think the film was really well shot and. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah. I was reading about it um, again, and they said how they obviously wanted to make a genuine. 1950s LA be part of the film but they didn't want it to be like we're forcing this on you and they and so they they deliberately had like the production designing um be like all right let's make sure the look behind in the background is obviously 1950s LA but the film itself isn't about that it's just this film is actually about characters it's just set in 1950s LA so let's make it background and make it uh you know organic and genuine and I think they did a really good job of that you never you're never really watching the film thinking it's in the 1950s. It feels it feels like it could be a film set at any time. Obviously, technology and cars. You really don't know when it's taking yeah, place. Yeah, it's, it, it's a contemporary film just set in the 50s, I think. And that, like it's written like, this is the kind of story that could happen any time. Um, these characters could exist at any time. They're obviously shaped by the time that they're living in. And uh, and their experiences are part the lingo of the, and everything. yeah their experiences are part of the time they're living in but everything else around it like the core of the film could be any time it's um, and I think that's a really that's why the film works so well is because it it does feel natural and organic it's not like when I was thinking about it I was thinking about um uh Gangster Squad which is a recent more recent film that came right. out. It had Mickey, yeah. Mickey the character of Mickey Cohen as a very central part of that film right. whereas in this film he's he, he's talked about but um and that film was very much it's very stylized and very 50s and it's very in your face that it's in the 50s and um that film didn't get greatly reviewed either. It's over the top. Yeah, it's over the top. I mean, like, because it's got some great actors in it like it's obviously got Stone Gosling, fucking Penn, uh I'm forgetting another one that's uh Josh Brolin. Um yeah, right. there's another female in it as well, uh, an uh, actress as well that's very good in it. Yes, um, there is. But uh, yeah. it is just so over the top. Yeah, and it, and it, forces, it forces the nostalgia of the 50s at you and all that stuff. And it's like, that's why LA Confidential, I think, works so well. And I'm not I'm not sure. I, I watch Gangster Squad and enjoy it as a popcorn movie, I guess. But, okay. Yeah. But yeah, as as a film that you can really dive into, like LA Confidential, the reason it is so good is because the writing is really great. Um the way it's and there's purpose. Yeah, there's and purpose. obviously... The What's the purpose of Gangster Squad? Or that other stupid flick that uh, Ben Affleck made about the same area at the same time. I can't think of the Ben Affleck one you're talking about, but... 
you can look it up. Um, but yeah, I yeah, that I guess Gang Gangster Squad was just trying to tell a crime movie about Minky Cohen, really. Whereas this film was right. This film was like on the surface. This is what Live by Night. Oh, right. Yeah, I, yeah. I haven't seen it. Um, this film, what it's based actually, on a novel. Yeah, what this film is actually about is these characters. It's not like you have the crime that comes to the end purpose, but the the film is about the characters. Whereas you know, movies like Gangster Squad, like that's what makes these films so great is because the story is about the characters and where they go and what they do with the world they're living in. And that's what makes films great is when you care for the characters as deeply and especially characters that you're not sure if you like at different times of the film because they make decisions that you're right, they're, exactly. they're flawed and they're incredibly flawed and they do things that are abhorrent. Like, you know, Bud White, you like at the end of the film, but he, he hits a woman in the film. And it's, that's, you, that's, he uh, also is like too defensive of his dirtbag partner. Who's just clearly a drunk and just waiting for his pension. Yeah, but that's so, uh, again that's part of the floor of the characters. Like he's a he believes he has a job to do as a cop is part of their culture, and that's a, again a part of the flawed culture of it is that they defend their own no matter what, and it's like that's part of it is that it's flawed and and uh, I think by the end of the film he works out that they he was obviously part of this um, big network of lies and corruption with his partner was and he he has to reckon with that in siding with Exley to do the right thing with their uh, trying to do the right thing <laughs> yeah um yeah podcast that'll be um, isn't yet on the channel but is being released tomorrow um so yeah our voices don't need to be heard on that so i mean yeah they don't need to be heard on that subject there's plenty of other better voices talking about what we talk about on that so yeah yeah give them the shine but <laughs> uh if you're ever revisiting our podcast it's a good podcast yeah yeah it'll, it'll be up on the channel um so uh yeah it's um yeah, it, it's just like again one of those films that um, yeah, this is why we do this podcast. Is there is films that we love that have so much to talk about and so much to teach us that is beyond the like you know when I first watched LA Confidential, I just thought it was a cool, cool no- nostalgic um, police procedural kind of film. But then when you watch like then I was you know again I've said I've watched a lot of films in my younger years and then come back to them as an adult with more life experience and realize how much more there is to them. And that's why we encourage rewatching great films. Cause there is actually so much more you can find from them, even if you enjoyed them on first watch. So, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I just heard somebody talking about it on a podcast last week. Um, and we were looking for a movie to do like not scrounging super hard, but, uh, just wanted something that reflected the times a little bit. Um, and I think this one did, and like this is why it, this film shows why people are fighting against this stuff, and this film shows why we need systematic change. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, yeah, this the moment we're living in now is really important, and films like this hopefully will just be in the future just historical record um, and nothing more. But um, the Rotten Tomatoes score. Well, I'll, I'll read them out now, but it's got an incredible Rotten Tomatoes. I haven't even looked at them, so I'm excited. Well, <laughs> drum roll. Worst drum roll I've ever heard. Well, there's a, there's a, there, there is a drummer. There is a drummer on this podcast, and it is not me. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, so, LA Confidential has an 8.2 out of 10 on IMDb. A uh, 90% on Metacritic, 89% of Google users on the thumbs up, thumbs down like it, 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
Uh, maybe I did see that when I Googled it last night. Because yeah. I was Googling, um, I was trying to see, like, uh, some of the, like, what it was based on in real life and stuff. But, yeah. uh, which which wasn't really anything, even though the writer has written books about real things. Um, yeah, 99 is too high, obviously. It's not a, it's not a flawless movie. Yeah. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes is like, it's a... It, what I think happens with older films like this is when if there's there was less reviews done because I mean it was still a widely reviewed film but I think it's 110 out of 111 reviews were positive so I do think Ebert gave it four stars though and I think did, it yeah, probably it, it did that. get it did get four out of four Eberts like and that's the thing with weight like if you're talking a four out of a four star scale then it, it deserves a four because um I think it's close to perfect on what it was trying to do. Um, Rotten Tomatoes. I just I I've seen there's so many films that I think deserve like close to a hundreds that don't have them. Um, right. I think LA, LA Confidential is like high. If it was ninety six percent, I'd probably be happy. Like I think it's just I think it's not that perfect, but it's close. So like ninety nine percent is a little too high. I'm not. Yeah. What even is a ninety nine percent film? Like, there's not a single film I can think of off the top Starship of my head. Starship Troopers not- probably. Yeah, or Life Aquatic, or um, <laughs> but, the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, I mean, ninety nine is just too high. I I I pointed out last night when I was watching it and texted you about it is like the du- some of the dubbing in um, where they just early the in the early in, early in the film when um, there's a couple Spacey's dancing. It's really noticeable. After that, I forget about it and I don't notice it, so I'm fine. Um, yeah. I said, there's a couple. Yeah. Um, there's one with Guy Pierce that's just awful. Um, it's just like not even close. Yeah, it's funny. Um, it I'd also, have to watch it, it. Also works with the the period piece part of it. It does kind of work with like because I I watch right. a, I watch a lot of spaghetti westerns and it's like just part of it is like even Clint Eastwood's like voice just being completely terribly dubbed. But because um, he's not a good actor. Well, yeah, I I don't like I don't like his <laughs> but. Look, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is one of my favorite movies of all time. So I haven't seen it. No, there you go. My American Beauty. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, the dubbing that that it did, I it did strike because you texted me about it, so I knew to look for it and it, I noticed it straight away. But then after that, it just got. And maybe it's because at the start of the film, you're not you're not diving in yet. You just you know you're you know touching your toes to the water. You notice those things, but once the film gets going and you're just invested in it, it's like. It kind of just faded away from me. I forgot about it after that first couple of minutes. Right, and like the first time you're going to watch it, or even the second time, you're just going to be connected to the story, and so yeah. it's not that big of a. You just like if you're like looking at the film and trying to break it down, like we are. Yeah. I, I just noticed that, and yeah. um, obviously there's a few um, liberties as well. I mean, the, we already talked about how great the script is, but there's a few liberty liberties as well with it, where it's just kind of. Um, convenient, I guess. Yeah. Give me an example. I'm trying to think of. <laughs> I can't think of one. I was into my cups last night as well. Um, while watching it, but um, I just thought about it. I was like, oh, I I remember thinking last night. Well, isn't that convenient? I don't know if it was like the boxer, just like immediately knowing what they were talking about based on like a car. I don't know. I do think that like television has kind of warped my view of movies mm-hmm. because of how in depth they can get and how much they can show like seasons of television versus movies. I think about that all the time. Um, 
especially when we're doing this podcast and breaking it down, it's like, well, I, I wish this character would have been um, a little bit more well-rounded or like I would have understood their story more. And I think like the golden, the new age of television has really made that an issue because yeah. you get the complex emotions of a character over 10 hours instead of two. Yeah. And then you get to the eight, eighth season of the TV show and throw it all out the window. Sup game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't really give a shit about Game of Thrones, honestly. I'm sorry everybody who's butthurt about it, but I was fine with it. It still shocked me, and I still enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it. as a, I just really... I didn't read the books, though, like you, so... Well, I haven't even got... He's, he still hasn't got those last ones out yet, anyway, but um, I just... It built up... Like, you could have spread that... Those, like, you could have really done... It just felt rushed, that's all. It was just... Yeah. Right, and it was, but, like, that's... I mean, going back to kind of what we were talking about, that's like, like about coronavirus, even. That's the United States, man. They fucking crave just what they crave. And I say they as if I'm not a part of it, but like they, they crave this. They, they're they so selfish. Yeah, Our populace is so like, goddamn yeah. selfish. That's what led to that bad season. I still enjoyed it, but like greed is what led to that season. And it's a byproduct of American society. Um, man, I didn't expect to. But L.A. Confidential. Yeah. <laughs> um, it it is int- interesting you say about t- TV with it because I I did mention briefly on the um earlier that uh I mean is that consensus that it's like slightly overrated with ninety nine percent in tomatoes but not too far off. Yeah, I'd give it an A minus. Yeah. So like probably like a ninety three. Yeah. I'm always like about two or three points above you. <laughs> We're very consistent. Yeah, well, you have a sunnier disposition <laughs> than I do. <laughs> I hold things to a high standard because I expect, I don't know. If you like can't, like, if you can't, like, wow me, then why are you making a movie? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, my lowest ranking of all the movies we we've done is probably the Aussie horror movie we did. Yeah, Wolf Creek, yeah. Wolf Creek, that's the name of it. <laughs> I totally remember. That was definitely that was definitely my curveball moment, which I'll probably I'll do to you like very rarely. Yeah, you'll yeah, you'll keep doing. Yeah. Midsomar was one right off the bat, but that was um I yeah. That was like actually that. your suggestion. You that. you said I'm gonna watch this movie this weekend. Can we do this this weekend? Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Wild that I don't remember that. <laughs> Yeah, so I had a very different movie in mind that weekend. Was it Wolf Creek? No, that was that was when we were going to do Semi Pro, and we still haven't done. That oh one. yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, we need to wait a while before we get into yeah. Semi Pro. <laughs> <laughs> we need to build up, like, show that we like understand film and like try to enjoy what the those that write it and direct it and produce it are trying to accomplish. Semi pro is fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it when basketball comes back at the end of July, but Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Okay. <laughs> um, pro. Yeah, I was I was gonna say we've already mentioned briefly on the pod, but yeah, they were actually in two thousand three they had a, actually filmed a pilot for an LA confidential TV show. Right. It might have been Ed. Um it's on the, apparently on the special edition Blu rays. You can it's on there to to watch it. Um the show's main actors were Kiefer Sutherland, uh, Josh Hopkins, don't know who that is, David Conrad, again, can't picture him, Pruitt, Taylor Vince, 
Melissa George and Eric Roberts. Bruant Taylor Vince is a frat. That's a that's like a room of a frat. That's three guys <laughs> living in the same room, right? <laughs> what the fuck is that name? <laughs> no. Melissa George was in there, which is an Australian actress, so um the Australian connection to LA Confidential continues. But get these um, Aussies out of LA. <laughs> God damn it. Um, well get you into LA. Yeah, well, <laughs> so I have to stop drinking in the morning when we podcast, but uh, you enjoy it. Um, I sure do. The uh, the the 2018 one, I'm really sad didn't go ahead because it was I I misspoke earlier. I said Goggins was going to be Exley, but he was going to be Vincenz. So, I, oh, I, you know I I love Walton Goggins and everything he does. So that would have been cool. Um, He's great, Miss Ma- B Haven. <laughs> Mark Mark Weber was going to be. Uh, white bud white which he's um if you don't know him as an actor he was part of scott pilgrim's band um so the lead singer a gig is a gig is a gig is a gig (laughs) also we gotta do that one soon i i fucking love that movie that movie is so good we have sex with bob (laughs) (laughs) we're here to make you think about death and get sad and stuff Actually, play some really great music too. I love it. Yeah, um, Beck wrote all the music. Really? Well, that's awesome. Yep. Yeah, that movie's great. It was like Brie Larson in an early role before she like blew up and was oh like, my cat, God. Cat her singing um, the song. That uh, that song that their band does is fucking like I actually have it in playlists because I like the song. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Hello again. Oh man, you, and Bri- yeah. yeah. It's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to maybe do that next week. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> we will because we're just, we're starting the podcast of it right now. We're already talking about it. <laughs> Great performances, a lot of bit parts. Yeah, um, so quotable. Yeah, um, yeah, we might have. Garlic bread makes you fat. <laughs> <laughs> I did have a meatball sub today. It was like they've got a special one at the moment in Australian subways where it's like ultimate. Meatball sub, whereas basically they just God damn it, you're basically an American. They just load up the sub with like garlic butter and a shitload of cheese, so it's just melted garlic bread with meatballs, basically. Um, Once you become a Yank, uh, we're we're getting you on an uh, American diet, which sounds bad, but we'll get you know L.A. has good food. Oh yeah, no, I I just I'm gonna be the the food like yeah, food there is better than here. I'll, I'll put that out there. More yeah. var- more variety, easier to access. Like what it like, good variety of good foods. Um, LA's got a good food scene, so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. How we got here, my god. <laughs> this has been a quintessential pints above Gordon podcast episode. I think we uh, we did tangents. This is what we're going. We for. drank beers, and um, yeah, it's like past two a.m. my time now, and you're you're drinking beer in the morning your time. So um, gotta call my mom after this. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, I think we've said all we can about LA Confidential and a lot about other random movies like Scott Pilgrim and Gladiator. So um, you've had a bit of everything. Yeah, if you want to hear us yell about cops, just like buy us a beer at the local pub once they reopen, and we'll do that all the time. Mm. Um, we don't want to. We didn't want to spend a whole podcast just yelling about it. If you, you guys, uh, again, I say you guys is probably just Andrea listening at this point, and um, <laughs> I'll take it. But um, yeah, 
we just didn't want to. I didn't want to yell about cops the whole yeah. time. You know where we stand. Yeah, and we did the podcast that we'll be releasing on the channel tomorrow with um, yeah, do the right thing and Black Klansman do a lot more about um the issues going on. But we want to, you know, we want to. While um, I'll keep pushing with my in, in pre other recorded intros for the podcast about what you know, making sure people stay focused on real world issues. We want to, you know, talk about movies and celebrate movies and. You know, part of the fight for equality and freedom is the fight to be able to um, enjoy everything um, and be a happy part of the world, which movies is a big part of it, and we love them. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've gone. <laughs> this is one of our longer pods again, um, but, yeah. I'm very lonely. <laughs> <laughs> This is essentially our bar catch-ups at the moment is like a cross-space time chat and movie, so it's good fun. Yeah, we need to do it. Yeah, I'll say that off air. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, until uh, until next week when we uh, probably do Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> um, good we'll, film. Yeah, we'll uh, roll, roll some film, pour some pints, pop some corn, and I'll see you next week, yeah. Around my ankles. <laughs> <laughs>